When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Welcome to Football Social Daily, Premier League news and opinion every weekday. And what a week in the top flight it's been so far. In and amongst the chaos of Manchester City being accused by the Premier League of breaking its financial rules, Jesse was given his marshing orders at Leeds United. Sorry, that was that was a shocker. Drink, that man. was a shocker, wasn't it? But what was just as shocking was the way that Leeds flew out of the traps at Old Trafford against Manchester United last night. Leeds in the lead inside a minute are the Whites Nyonta something with their diminutive Italian. But even after a two-goal advantage, they couldn't hold on as Ten Hag's Reds rallied. Jaden Sancho striking from the shadows. So who next to take up the hot seat at Ellen Road? We'll try and unpick that, as well as your questions which have been sent in to us, including some on those Manchester City allegations. My name's Niall, this is FSD, and with me today in the studio, Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. All right, lads. Good morning. Hoping the podcast gets better than them puns, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. It's um, the only way is up from there, isn't it? <laughs> the only way is up. <laughs> that is one way to, uh, to do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not normally one to throw a few puns in there, but it was just too good. We to need miss. a pun bell now. Too Forget the cliche bell. I was trying to think of ways I pun could describe That's what we need. <laughs> Jesse Marsh being sacked, and I was thinking dismissed, fired, marching orders, and I thought marching orders it works. So I thought oh, I had to go on. for it. He was Chicago fired. <laughs> he used to play for them. I've seen a clip of him. Good. That's good. I'm annoyed. I'm not the host now. Well, we'll come on to Jesse Marsh Chicago in a second. Fire <laughs> because Jesse Marsh. Uh, a Jesse Marsh-less Leeds United were in action last night in the Premier League against Manchester United. Joel, that's your club. How did you watch the game last night? Because it wasn't on UK TV, Are was you it? you trying to incriminate me I'm here, not trying to incriminate you. <laughs> I, uh, I listened with my ears last night. You're a good man. You're a good man. Well, I didn't have any issues watching it because <laughs> I've got a NordVPN subscription. So... I was able just to set my location to somewhere else and sign in and watch the game as if I was watching it from overseas. So I didn't have the trouble that you had of having Allegedly, to go through I the pain. Allegedly, I might have done the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can get a NordVPN subscription as well by using the website address nordvpn.com forward slash FSD. You'll already get a huge discount on your plan. But seeing as it's Nord's 11th birthday today, so happy birthday, NordVPN, they're giving you the chance to win some extra stuff as well. So head over to the website if you've not already signed up to NordVPN. Make sure you do that. It's a great way to get around things like geoblocking. It's nordvpn.com forward slash FSD. Right, before we talk about Manchester United against Leeds United, let's talk about what's happened at Leeds over the last few days. Of course, the Premier League landscape has been dominated by that news that Manchester City have been accused of more than 100 financial breaches. But on Monday, Jesse Marsh was also sacked by Leeds United. So let's come on to that first and foremost, because we haven't had a chance to react to it on FSD. Was that a surprise, Marley, that Jesse Marsh was sacked? Or do you think it was perhaps expected? Um, perhaps a bit of both, really. But expected because I kept seeing fans going on about um, 
Like we don't don't understand his tactics, don't understand what he's trying to do. Would you know what was trending? Yank Lampard. <laughs> I have seen that. There's loads of puns to be uh, to be made around Jesse Marsh. To be honest, I yes. think Jody Marsh would have done a better job in charge. To be fair, of <laughs> Leeds United, if you don't know who Jody Marsh is, <laughs> make sure you're not at work when you Google. Make sure you're using NordVPN. <laughs> you're googling it. Yeah. Your, yeah, don't use your work laptop. Yeah, yeah, make sure Set you your location to the moon or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was I even saying? Yeah, um, you know, I think the Leeds fans had, had started to turn. Um, there was every now and again there was signs of improvement with Leeds. Um, I thought from from sort of watching them sort of sparingly, not for full ninety minutes every week, but they always looked very shaky at the back. They've never looked solid at the back, and it tends to be well, you know, we'll we'll uh, sort of rely on our attacking vibes to get us through games, and we'll we'll win three two. And it was a bit like you need to go back to back to basics a little bit at first, and then. Build from there because if you've got the attacking flair, it's about keeping the back door shut, I think. But you know, Nonto is obviously a good player, Somerville they scored last night, and come on to that in a bit. But you know, there's talent in that squad. Um, but I just don't know if Marsh knew how to how to get the best out of it, and obviously, he's ended up getting sacked and leads her back to uh, to square one. Leeds have only won two of their last 12 games, that was before last night's match against Manchester United. So understandable really as much as he was given a year at the helm Joel as much as he was given I think 140 million pounds to spend and as much as I think he's a nice guy and no doubt a pretty good coach do you think that he had enough time to be able to maybe be more successful at least than he was do you think that it is the simple fact and we can get the cliche bell out here that it is a results business and that's why he's lost his job yeah it's a shame for him because he got the American Revolution starting nearly. <laughs> I thought it was me then. I was going to say, what? No, I was just trying uh, to find the cliche that was under the desk somewhere. Yeah, I mean, he's brought over all the Americans to his team. And to be fair, they've all adapted fairly well. I mean, I was excited to see Weston McKenney, for example, since he just brought him in. Yeah. And he barely even got to play under him. And obviously, Tyler mm. Adams, who's the USA captain. Uh, they're all pretty good signings and ones that he knows. And I don't think any other manager would have made as many, you know, US transfers, for example. But again, like you say, it's just the fact that prior to this Manchester United game, they had no winning seven. The momentum was completely shot. There was no signs of improvements whatsoever. And I think I think he, they could have afforded him a little bit more time based on the amount of signings that they made. I mean, they just bought Jorginho Ruta for, mm. I think, 36 million. That's a big price to pay for someone who's not even going to play for the manager who's just brought him in. So it was confusing because they backed him a lot, especially in January as well. And then to suddenly get rid of him, that's the thing that makes me a little bit curious. Is it the timing then? Is that the thing that you're maybe thinking about here? Because you mentioned Weston McKennie. You know, he signs Weston McKennie and doesn't even get to play play a game. He's only greeted him, that's it. It's one of those things where straight after he's had a transfer window, we're talking early February, the window shuts on the 31st of January. And they've sacked him. So is is it the timing of it that maybe is more of a surprise? I think what's clear to me is that this wasn't in the plans because they wouldn't have allowed him to make, you know, Weston McKenney a signing, Jorginho Ruta a signing, and then the next manager who comes in, you might not fancy either of them. That's the risk that you play when you start sacking managers and backing them uh, after transfer windows. So it was a surprise for me. It just seems like a bit of a split reaction rather than something that was in the works. Right. But... I think regardless, they would have made that amount of signings in January because they're in trouble. 
they, they had to make reinforcements and I think they were pretty safe ones as well I mean Weston McKenney playing for Juventus playing in Champions League is a pretty sure fit loan mm. deal as well mm. it's mm. not a permanent signing um, but it's going to be interesting to see who they actually bring in because it just feels like they've still not truly recovered from Marcelo Bielsa's influence I think it's like they're almost in that no man's land of trying to find because they've got a great set of players when you look at the squad there's a lot of good international players a lot of youth players mm. uh, I just feel like they need a manager who's got the tactical nous to actually galvanise it a little bit and make it cohesive mm. and I wonder how Bielsa would have done with this squad because there's a lot more technical players in it compared to what he did have when they first came in the Premier League Yeah we'll talk about Bielsa in a bit more detail shortly because there are some suggestions that he might even return to Ellen Road which would be pretty wild but do you think Jesse Marsh will work in the Premier League again, Marley? Because we've seen how much the Premier League is growing in the United States and North America in general. It's growing exponentially. Um, so many more fans being welcomed into the Premier League from across the pond every single season. And I think it's good that we do have some sort of American representation, whether that's in the form of players or until recently a manager in Jesse Marsh. But we've seen American managers and coaches try their hand in the Premier League in the past. Bob Bradley being an example didn't really work out. Uh, and of course, now Jesse Marsh, who's got decent pedigree. When you look at the clubs he's managed, Leipzig did really well with Salzburg and brought through players like Erling Haaland. Do you think he'll work in the Premier League again? Or do you think that it will still be a bit of time before we see an American coach become truly successful in the top flight? Uh, I can't see him working in the Premier League again. Um, I think he's his shot as... I think we've seen enough of him to, to form an opinion of him. He had a year um, in the job. So. Yeah, I mean, a year, it's, it's not a long time, is it? But it's as long as you get these days. So if you can't show signs in a year, um, it's it's not looking good for you. Obviously, I can't predict the predict the, predict the future, but, you know, someone might have a chance, take a chance on him again. He probably would jump at the chance to come back. But I'm just not sure. I always think it, you start off on the wrong foot when you are American in the Premier League. It's unfortunate um, that that's the case, but I'm inclined to agree with you because I do think that there is yeah some I'm, sort of stigma around that. I try not to sound like to come across sort of like xenophobic or anything like that, and like saying Americans can't last, but there's just something in the English culture which sort of doesn't mm, I know quite marry up with the American psyche yeah. of of how they think and how they do things. Yeah, yeah, and I think when you come into an English club, especially like. Club like Leeds, like working mm. class, you know, every, everyone around the yeah. around the, mm. it's a one club city type of uh, type of place, and I just think when you come in, you're American, you start off with all the all the fellas that go and queue up and buy the pints and buy the shirts and stuff, and you bring in these different ways. They're just not as receptive to it as they are when Bielsa comes in and he's already got the the um, the the sort of CV that says yeah. like. I am a bit crazy, but my methods work. Everyone gets behind that. <laughs> they but, were selling buckets, weren't they, in the club shop? Exactly. I mean, if <laughs> you can sell, if on. you can sell buckets, <laughs> if you can sell buckets as a club to a fan base, <laughs> you're doing something right. I mean, I don't know what the Marsh equivalent of that was. Um, well, there wasn't one, but it, you know, I don't think you'll work in the Premier League again. Um, I can't see a club that would take a take a chance on him. Who do Leeds look to as a replacement for Jesse Marsh, who lost his job on Monday? You've touched upon Marcelo Bielsa. Could we see him come back? Do you think that would be a bit of a wild move, considering he was linked with the Everton job? 
That went to Sean Dyche, and obviously Sean Dyche's first game in charge was a massive win against league leaders Arsenal. Marcelo Bielsa was in the running for that job, but allegedly wanted to take over the under-21s before then moving into the full-time Everton <laughs> job though, in the summer, which is the most, the most Bielsa thing I think I've ever heard. Um, who do you think Leeds should be going for? Do you think, seeing as they are a touch above the relegation zone, and it looks so tight down there right now, do you think they should be going for someone who can keep them in the league, maybe on a short-term contract? Or do you think that they should be trying to make an appointment in terms of a succession plan to Jesse Marsh? What sort of profile of manager should they be going for, do you think? I think they need to go to a similar profile of Bielsa, to be honest, because I think they have the players that are set up to play in a pretty dynamic way, like he did. It just felt with Jesse Marsh, he didn't know how to get the most out of them because it's a pretty young team as well. When you look at it, you got, you know, Nyonto looks really... Um, high potential on that left wing and then you've got so many in midfield Tyler Adams and McKenna are under 25 it's a lot of raw potential and just looking at the leading candidates you've got Corberan which is the West Brom manager who seems to be doing pretty well there I think they've just offered him a new contract as well yeah. to try and keep him he's already um, said no as well yeah and then you've got the next one which is Areola which is the Rayo Vallecano manager I think he's actually ruled himself out as well so it seems like the options are becoming shorter and shorter and then it ultimately leads back to Marcelo Bielsa so who knows because I know Leeds as a as a uh, place in general and as a club and their fan base still absolutely adore him I've never been a fan of managers going back to clubs though it just feels like it never usually pans out the way it once did in terms of the special moments and why it became special so you have to be careful with that I think it's a bit of a poison chalice that yeah. kind of that kind of it, it feels very fantasy and beautiful when you talk yeah, about yeah. it but in reality there are you know, so many examples of that oh, oh, it, it never it so rare, very very rarely works out apart from you know if you're Jose Mourinho <laughs> you yeah. go back to Chelsea but then, but then it, you know, it, it all sour burned in down the end, then yeah. didn't it so, so yeah. in the end in football everything just burns out and goes sour <laughs> I think that's the uh, conclusion but there's not many great choices around at the moment. I think whoever is next is going to be a little bit of a gamble and a roll of the dice. Mm. I wonder who you'll go for, Marley, if you were Andrea Retrizzani, who's the man who's supposed to be making these decisions. He said on Twitter to one Leeds supporter that yesterday was a time to get behind the team ahead of their game against Manchester United, which we'll talk about in a bit. But he said they need more time to make the right choice when it comes to replacing Jesse Marsh. Are you inclined to agree? Do you think they should bide their time? Because... Time will run out before long because the Premier League doesn't wait for anyone. Yeah, I'm not sure how much time they've got, to be honest. I think, you know, you've put yourself in this situation where once you actively go past the World Cup break and then you change your mind, you've you've already, mm. you've given yourself way more, way more work. Everton have, have done that um, with uh, with sacking Lampard and appointing Deitch. Obviously, it's worked short term, but, you know, it's still, it's not an ideal situation to be in. But Leeds have probably done the same, but... I'm looking at the the manager, you know, odds, and it's pretty much odds on to be um, Anthony Iraola from uh, from Vallecano. Is it Vallecano? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know that that's a massive chance. It's a massive risk. I know Vallecano were punching well above their weight at the minute and playing some of the best football in Spain, like pound for pound. But yeah, yeah, they're you know, they're the kind of the fourth club in Madrid, so to speak. You know. <laughs> Yeah, they're like the QPR <laughs> of, <laughs> London. of the Spanish league, you know. Yeah, I mean fifth at the moment in the table, though. You're right; they're doing yeah, amazing. Flying, flying. Mm. Um, Arna, Arna Slot, second favorite. I'm not gonna lie, I've never heard of him. 
Nuno Santos third to one, and then there's a big jump between the rest of them. Okay, uh, well, sorry, you, the third favorite. You say you've but, never you say you've never heard of him. Yeah. Does that not just fall in line with all of the managers that Leeds have had over the last fifteen years? Really, a lot of people, and, and I'm, I don't mean to be obtuse. Anyone yeah. who's kind of a bit more into their football will have heard of him and known about him. But a lot of people will only have heard of him since he came to Leeds. Before that. Paul Heckingbottom. Before that, Thomas Christiansen, Gary Monk, Steve Evans, Uwe Rossler, Neil Redfern. But if you look at some of these names, you're thinking, you know, are these the sort of characters that Leeds need to keep them in the Premier League? A lot of them were managers under the Massimo Cellino reign. Very true. Um, very true. Of which I worked at the club at the time, <laughs> and there are some. What are you trying to say about yourself? You'll give any idiot any a, job. Yeah. a job. <laughs> Stroll up and you're in. <laughs> yeah, any idiot gets a job there at that point. But I mean, yeah. So a lot of them have an asterisk against them. If Chilino appointed it, like he appointed Steve Evans for God's sake, um, and uh, Hecking Bottom, who Hecking Bottom um, Hockaday. Ha- Hockaday, that's him we're thinking of. I think he'd managed Forest Green before that or something like that. It was crazy. He'd never managed as high as the championship or even close to it. And he hired him. But I'm looking at, you know, uh, the decision he's got. I mean, Arna Slot is the Feyenoord manager at the minute. Uh, just quick Google. But why would Feyenoord are top of the Eredivisie at the minute? And flying, mm-hmm. they could win the second title in, I think it's four years. Yeah. And that disrupt and, uh, yeah. that Ajax sort yeah. of monopoly they've got on the, mm. on the thing. So that's huge. And also... Giovanni Van Bronckhorst was the last manager to win it with Feyenoord. He jumped ship to uh, Rangers the season after. Didn't go well for him as, at all. But So I'm thinking of, of Slot's uh, mentality. Obviously, I don't know any what he's like as a person, but would you would you leave gar- almost guaranteed success, guaranteed European football for Feyenoord to go to, uh, to, go, to, go to fight a fire at, at Leeds? Um, no guarantees thinking, of staying up when you look at the table as well. Yeah, I mean, they should stay up, Leeds. They've got, you know, more than enough to stay up, in my opinion. But, mm. you know, you've still got to go and do it. So it's one of those where, yeah. you know, who do you look at? But I'm I'm looking at who's out of work and I can't see past anyone more perfect for the job than Rafa Benitez, who's out of, the, out of work. Yeah. You know, knows the Premier League, wants to prove himself after that horrendous Everton spell, mm. would, would sort them out defensively has experience, has experience of fighting at the wrong end of the table um, and doing a good job making a, a club solid and, and building from there. He, there's even quite a few Spanish players at, uh, <laughs> at, at Leeds, which he, he would love to, to work with and stuff. There's plenty of talent there. So, mm. I mean, he's a 50-1 to one shot at the minute for, for the job. Will um, Mystic Marley strike again? Uh, I doubt it. I've not even <laughs> heard him being linked with it, to be fair, but... I, you know, he's out of work, so well, yeah, we'll wait. Cost you anything. We'll wait and see who is selected to replace Jesse Marsh as the new Leeds United manager. But they did have to play a game managerless last night. Three different people took temporary caretaker charge against Manchester United at Old Trafford. It half start- an hour each. <laughs> yeah, half an hour each. It started really well for Leeds. In the end, they couldn't get the three points. We'll talk about it next after this here on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your Premier League podcast from the sports social team. And last night at Old Trafford, Manchester United welcomed Leeds United. And one man who played in that fixture many times 
was two-time Champions League winner, five-time Premier League champion Wes Brown, who we caught up with on yesterday's edition of the podcast. Just scroll back in the timeline and you'll be able to find our chat with Wes. But if you haven't heard it yet, here's a little snippet of what made that 1999 treble winning team so special. What do you think were the main differences between those two sides and like what meaning did it have for you? Because obviously in the 99 side, you were a young kid coming into it and in the 2008 side, you had, you had a massive role in the season. Mm. What were the similarities and differences in the two teams which made them champion winning sides? Winners in general, attitude. Uh, you know, people ask me which one was the best one, I would still say 99, just for the simple fact, the squad. Um, you know, the rules were a little bit different with subs and stuff and um, you know, there was a lot of games that season, but the lads just kept kept battling on. You know, we obviously had a little bit of luck along the way. Um, but I always feel, listen to to actually do the treble. It's not, it's, you know, it's not an easy. But even though you didn't have a massive part in that one, but you had a massive yeah, part. Yeah, I mean, in I, I played quite a lot of the games up until the quarterfinal, mm. and obviously, um, you're at the big stage now, and the the, the manager has to go with the. You know, the players that have been there a long time yeah. and, you know, more experience, it's as simple as that. And I think that's the way uh, most things go. Obviously, in, in a way, I was more of a senior figure, so I would play more games and, and play in them later stages. Um, but it was a great experience and just to be involved and see it all unroll, really. Um, and again, listen, that 08, yeah. Portsmouth, what can I say? David James. What, with Rio Fern, I was flapping about in goal. I'm sure, Niall, or did you go to that game now? I would have been there, yeah. I'm sure if you watch it, if you ever watch it again, I have. you can see how I can't much you believe. get battered. Yeah, I was, I I was in disbelief that, that day. That's the thing, you know, it's, that was, when we look, when I look back at that, I think of that game, not necessarily that we won the Champions Just League. Just the moment that you missed. Just that, that moment, because it was an opportunity to try and do it again. And it's not like, it's just one of them things, football, it's mad, isn't it? I mean, yeah. we we should have won that game, but we didn't. And yeah. that's, that's I mean, the way it goes. And you play that game another 100 times and United yeah, win one it result, isn't 95 it? times. This yeah. is just one of them things. And that, that's the, you know, the that's just the little minor things where, you know, you, you, you're at, we're, st- we're still a great team, but that makes it a special team if we, we were to win that again. Um, but we just didn't quite get there. Really cool chat with Wes. You can find the full episode just by searching for it wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you're already on the timeline, just scroll back and you'll find it from yesterday. Let's talk about Manchester United's match last night, though, which was at home to Leeds United. And it got off, Joel, to the worst possible start. After 55 seconds, Nyonto, the little Italian for Leeds United, put the Whites in the lead. They've never won a Premier League game at Old Trafford, I think. I'm not 100% on that statistic, but I was just looking through some of the results over the years and I was trying to find the last time they won a game at Old Trafford and it was 2010 in the FA Cup where Jermaine Beckford scored a goal and, you know, this time it was Nyonto opening the scoring. He looks an exciting talent. He's an Italian international. He signed from Swiss club Zurich. Maybe a bit of a Jesse Marsh legacy there because he was one of his signings. Do you think that from what we've seen so far from him, he might be snapped up by another club soon. Just want to say first and foremost, it absolutely cracked me up seeing the three managers on the touchline, <laughs> just like they're all on work experience, not knowing what's going on or fighting for uh, their final voice to be heard. But yeah, from the first minute, it just looked like it was going to go one way straight away where Leeds were super aggressive in the press, uh, which obviously led to the first goal where Bruno Fernandes just got absolutely cleaned out while trying to play out from the back and then Yonto just completely direct stunned Old Trafford and 
Yeah, he, he looked a threat all night. I don't know if it was because of him looking a threat or because Diogo Dalo was completely off the boil. He was cold, he, wasn't he? He was, he really liked Wan- it. wan who's been deputising, was ill yesterday. And so you could tell play. in his crazy turn of events, wan was a guy who's going to be touted to be leaving in January and now Dalo, he looked really off the pace. But yeah, I mean, if I take my biased hat off, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised with how good leads were yesterday. They just, like Eric Ten Hag said after the game, they just looked way more aggressive. And like from the very first minute, they were treating it like a rivalry game, whereas United seemed a little bit complacent in the play. Uh, A very horrible scenario, which is that we are a one-man midfield. That's the most clear-as-day game I've ever seen, where the two-man midfield of Sabitzer, who... I think he's still getting to grips with the pace of the game. Yeah, it's Fair just enough. his second game and his yeah, first start. It's going to take so. him time. From the Bundesliga as well, I'm sure it is an absolute like, car crash watching everything around him. Fred, on the other hand, he was playing against us yesterday. I swear to God. When you look he, at, he does this, Fred, right? He'll have an amazing game. It's a 5 out of 10 then, or a 10 out of 10. Yeah, There's no in-between. The in consistency is... No in-between. Casemiro, mm. you realise... I, I realise now, I had an epiphany yesterday, which is that the greatest players do the most simple things very well, non-stop, whatever happens. Yeah, yeah. Fred, you've got a flip of a coin if he's going to be able to have some composure on the ball, yeah. if he's going to be able to pass out from the back. And the fact we had to use him as the transition from defence to midfield to attack was the issue. He, mm. he has no composure. Do you know what? I um, feel the same about Declan Rice at West Ham. I don't think he's like a particularly special player. Not like in the ilk of someone in midfield like Zidane, for example. Yeah. But he just does the basics really he well. He does the bread and butter stuff And it, simply, and it you know, yeah. keeps the team looks, ticking it over. keeps it ticking. He's a metronome, isn't yeah, he, pretty sure. much? But just not as good as some of the best grandfather clocks out there. But <laughs> um, It almost gave me a little bit of a sense of the USA versus England game in the sense that I know there's a lot of USA players on the Leeds team, but I just remember distinctively that game where England were dominating everyone in possession. When they played against the USA, USA's press was that aggressive that it just disrupted the whole flow. Because mm. if anyone's ever watched United this season, passing out from the back has been a pretty core aspect of the game this season. And every time the defence got it and the midfield got it, they looked like they had to keep playing, keep playing, keep passing. And it just disrupted the whole flow. But yeah. Yeah, it was a because Tim- Timothy game. Weir was doing the what Nyonto was doing. Yeah, last yeah, literally night, just, just chasing, 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 chasing the yeah, weakest yeah. guy on in possession, mm. and it actually works because mm. D- D- Dallo looked really uncomfortable again. But yeah, Ten Hag was absolutely seething, spat his chewing gum out on the floor when Fred kept dispossessing himself. Um, he is probably looking at Casemiro, thinking, "Why did you put your hands <laughs> on his flipping neck or yeah, yeah. collar or yeah, whatever yeah. it was?" But yeah, it was a tough game yesterday. I needlessly. mean, Manchester United was just looking at Eric Ten Hag's bench, massively inexperienced, and some might say maybe even lacking in a little bit of quality. You look at the injuries that United have got, and Eriksson is out. You're right, Casemiro's suspended at the moment. Players like Scott McTominay, who maybe aren't quite the right fit for United moving forward, he's injured at the moment as well. So if you look at this Manchester United bench here, Lindelof, Maguire, Malassia, Heaton, Sancho, who we'll talk about shortly, Pelistri, Ilanga, Iqbal and Mainu. It's a very young and very inexperienced bench. I know United have got injuries and suspensions. Yeah, it's true. Um, This is what I mean. We're almost like an injury away from capitulation where the team goes from such a high quality in the play to one injury or suspension, which is Casemiro. And suddenly we're almost back to square one in terms of how weak the midfield is. 
Um, I think Scott McTominay is actually a big miss in this situation because he's probably our only other true holding midfielder apart from Casemiro who can do that kind of thing well because I don't trust Fred to be a defensive midfielder because he just simply cannot do it. He needs someone else to almost hold his hand in midfield. But yeah, like you say, I mean, there's a hell of a lot of kids on the bench. Even Garnacho, the biggest chances which, fell to him yesterday. Which and is great because that's the DNA of Manchester United. It is, it? but they shouldn't be the first resort. Sure. You need to be bedding them in slowly. You don't want to push them into the, the you know, the big fire pit and try and make them make a name for themselves because it very rarely works. And if it doesn't work, their confidence takes a huge hit. So I think um, in the summer, it's pretty clear that we need depth. We can't be relying on just having like an average age of 18 on the bench and trying to yeah. uh, bed them in in that way because it's just never going to work. We need experience. But yeah, like you say, I mean, the injury issues is not a great thing because it's all about, it's 60% of the midfield's injured. Yeah. It's never going to mm-hmm. help any team, is it? Just looking at the substitutes from both sides, actually, when did Joel Robles sign for Leeds United? What, the former Wigan legend? The West Ham goalkeeper that Jim absolutely hated oh, when he was there because he kept throwing the ball into his own goal. One of the when worst did that happen? goalies ever. I don't know. He's back in the Premier League, though. He's on the bench for Leeds. Uh, let's talk about Leeds again, though, because they had a two-goal lead the first time since the mid-1970s that they had a two-goal advantage over Manchester United. It was at Old Trafford as well. Again, they don't have a great record there. But how will Leeds be viewing this result, all things considered? Because Rashford and Sancho both scored to pull it back to 2-2, Marley. Point gained or two points dropped? How will Leeds view this, considering how they went into the game and then two goals up? I think when it comes down to it, it's a point gained because they wouldn't have expe- I don't think any Leeds fan would have expected to win. Uh, Man United bang in form. Uh, it's like win before the game, you know what I mean? Man United are in form. Leeds are not in any form, don't have a manager. Three work experience guys on the touchline, you know, trying to push the team into some formation. So if you said to the to the fans, you know, you're going to get a point at Old Trafford, I think everyone would have took it. Um, obviously, the way it transpired was not uh, not ideal, but I think there's more positives to take than negatives. You know, they they went two 0 up at Old Trafford. They scored goals. Um, they took their chances when they came, um, and you know, on a, on another day, I think with a a more solid approach to to uh, defending, which a proper manager will give them, or hopefully, um, that would like that game would end in a in a Leeds win, a Leeds hanging on. But you didn't learn anything new really from from Leeds, other than like they will be defensively weak um, and give you chances. You know, Rashford wins a, a superb header, but. If a ball goes into the box, you want your centre back beating Rashford to it every time. Um, and I think it was Cock, the centre back. He's done. I just look at him and think, I'm just expecting a mistake from you every week. Did he cock up? He did. He, co- he cocked <laughs> up. Um, Pascal Strauch, who I've given a lot of stick to over the years, playing left back. He looks even worse at left back, in my mm, opinion. I can't. I'm not having him as a than, than it than centre back. He looks. Poor at centre back, poor at left back. I don't know whether he's just in the team because he's got a nice ponytail or whatever. Shaved don't it off, understand. hasn't he? Has he cut it off? Has he cut it off? I think. He's I don't know because I couldn't watch know. a bloody match. Could I? <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, it's um, it's there's there's positives to take, but you know, negatives that will need sorting out. So I, I don't think it's a, a hard job to work out what's wrong for the whoever the new manager is coming in. But there's talent there in the forward line, but it's just the defence needs some sort of shape and some sort of. Uh, plan when uh, when Leeds haven't got the ball. So Leeds United 2, Manchester United 2 at Old Trafford last night. How does that shape the Premier League table 
Well, it leaves Manchester United in third position after 22 games, 43 points. That's a four-point gap to Tottenham Hotspur in fifth. So they've got a decent little cushion in the top four. Newcastle below them on 40 points at the moment after four draws in the Toons' last five games. At the other end of the table, Leeds down to 16th on 19 points, just one point above the relegation zone and four days' time going to play Manchester United again, this time Deja Old Trafford. Vu. Yeah, doesn't happen too often that two sides playing against each other home and away back-to-back. Anyway, next up on Football Social Daily, we're going to be answering some of your questions because on a Thursday we do something called AQA, which stands for Any Questions Answered. You send them into this, we rattle through them and we'll do it after this here on FSD. <laughs> Final part of today's Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the podcast. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode again, including any of our interviews with Premier League personalities. So far this season, we've already spoken to the likes of Brian McClare, Wes Brown, which was released only yesterday, Matt Jarvis. We've got an interview with Trevor Stephen coming up as well and some other exciting former Premier League players that we'll be chatting to soon in the next few weeks. So make sure you do hit subscribe and that way you won't miss any of those. But now on Football Social Daily. It's time to answer your questions. It's AQA. Any questions answered, you've sent them into us via social media and we're going to rattle through them now. And this first one comes from Somerset Dave. And Somerset Dave wants to know, Marley, has Bournemouth's slide into the relegation zone gone unnoticed? Gary O'Neill got a good new manager bounce after Scott Parker's sacking and was given the job permanently, but now they've got new owners at Bournemouth and they'll be keen to stay in the Premier League. Might he be the next manager to go interesting question from Somerset Dave Bournemouth are 19th in the table on 17 points and two points from safety I think with with Bournemouth it's the uh, curse of appointing a manager that's did well in a what do you call it temporary role like caretaker role Gary O'Neill picked up I think he was I think he lost one game in his in his 10 is that right mm. um, you did well when he came when he first really came well. in to to pick up off of Scott Parker, they you know they lost nine nil yeah. when Scott Parker got sacked and yeah, and then now I think that honeymoon bounces as war off if you wanna if you wanna just simply put it down to that, um, and it comes into the real like this is the the sort of period of the season which is so important February and March are, are huge because you don't really want to be going into into April in the bottom three because then you've got like eight games to go or something like that and you're, you're struggling against the tide type of thing mm. um, and no new managers want to come in and take the job on a 10-game basis. Um, so I, th- I think they are going to have to think about it because there are probably people out there who they can attract to take the job um, that that have more experience in the game than Gary O'Neill. Uh, O'Neill played a lot of games in the Premier League and the Football League and you know, very experienced English football man, mm. but is he a very experienced football manager? No, not no. really. I mean, he did some coaching at Liverpool um, when yeah. Stephen, when Stephen Gerrard was in the academy. He did some coaching there, and I think under Jurgen Klopp as well has done a bit of coaching. But you know, like you mentioned, managing a senior team. You mean is Gerrard very was, was managing the academy? Yeah, I was Gerrard, say, yeah. it sounded like when Gerrard was <laughs> in the academy. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, no. He's uh, you know, he's he's, he's got experience, but. I don't think there's any substitute for experience fighting a fire like that. You know, it's mm. hard to hard to just chuck yourself into. Um, so I would wouldn't be surprised if they made a change, and then it's a case of of who do you get. You know, you, yeah. are you in the lead situation again, where um, 
you're taking a chance on a, a foreign guy coming in from another another club in another league and learning the players and things like that. But I just wonder with what Dave's question is, you know, new ownership at Bournemouth, they've just come in and they don't want to be managing a championship club. I mean, we saw something similar at Burnley where Alan Pace took over at Turf Moor, mm. sacked Sean Dyche, didn't work, they got relegated, and now they've got company in and they're flying and they will be back in the Premier League next season, Burnley, no doubt about it. But I guess Bournemouth's owners might be thinking we can cut that step out if we make the right decision. I'm not I'm not saying yeah. Gary O'Neill should be sacked, by the way. It's absolutely not what I'm saying, but, you know, just going yeah, off the question. Yeah, but they'll be thinking it because they didn't put him in, in charge in the first place, did they? So, you know, they've got money. Uh, the takeover's just been done. How many times do you see it when new managers, uh, new owners come in and they get rid of the manager straight away? You know, it's... it's uh, And they've got Newcastle next as well. But if they win that, which I don't think they will, but if they do, they're out of the mm. relegation zone. That's how tight it is. Yeah, it is, it is tight down there, to be fair. Um, no one... I wouldn't put money on anyone going down like for definite um the good thing is is that all of the promoted sides they look pretty sure fit to stay up now so you're going to be looking at three established sides who are going to go down yeah i mean fulham are safe aren't they but i I still think like even forest like forest at 13th and all the fans are giving it ah where you all said we were going to go down yeah yeah welcome to the mentions lads um <laughs> but it's just yeah you know well, I oh, did. we're I, gonna I, stay up blah 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 because mm-hmm. we're 13th and there's there's only 15 yeah. games to go they won three of their last yeah like, it's not it's not a given mm. Forrester won three of their last five games I had them Fulham and Bournemouth all to go down this season Fulham mm. have been and revelation yeah Fulham have been the complete anomaly to that prediction but Nottingham Forest are in the bottom three for ages and Bournemouth were mid-table for ages and I was thinking well, one of them's going to go and it's not going to be Bournemouth. And now the tables have turned. Forest have moved up to mid-table and Bournemouth are in the bottom three. Mm. But as you mentioned, there's nothing to suggest that that bottom three shake-up, which is Everton, Bournemouth, Southampton at the moment, there's no reason that couldn't change in the next two and a half weeks because there's so many games coming up. Yep, it's a, it's a bit of a Royal Rumble that down at the bottom of the, the Premier League at the minute anything could happen anyone can tip over the top rope yeah. um, but who's going to be the, the the last man standing the biggest character none other than Sean Dyche <laughs> <laughs> listen great question Dave thanks for that uh, this is another question um, which Jim actually raised in the office before we came into the studio so not one that's technically been sent in by you but you can get them into us on social media um, at FSD Pod, and there have been a few questions we have had about this Manchester City allegations from the Premier League. And the best way to get your head around it, if you're not exactly sure what's been going on, is listen to our episode on Tuesday with football finance expert Kieran Maguire from The Price of Football. You can also hear him summarising exactly what the situation is between the Premier League and Manchester City on that Twitter handle that I just mentioned, which is at FSD Pod. But a few of you have sent some questions in about it, and this is one that Jim raised that kind of links to it that I thought was really interesting. If Manchester City are found guilty of what the Premier League has accused them of, does that taint all of the achievements of Pep Guardiola and his players during the last few years? Now, that's a difficult one to unpick because we know that Manchester City are being accused of financial discrepancies by the Premier League. Does that take away from what the players have done on the pitch? Because I keep hearing this term, Joel, being thrown around, cheating. The players haven't cheated. I don't think Pep Guardiola has cheated in the way he's coached his players. Yes, they've been able to maybe use their finances to secure players or pay for things in a way that they shouldn't have done. That's what some of the accusations are. But in terms of 
whether this taints what Pep Guardiola's achieved with that group of players. What would you say to that? Well, if you look at it in black and white, of course it does because they've gone against the rules. And when you go against the rules, you've basically cheated. You've gone against the system which gives you a competitive advantage. And when you look at how close it was, for example, between Liverpool and City in the last four or five years, I'm sure Liverpool fans will have a massive uh, grievance towards the fact that that one point in between them taking three titles every season uh, for the last three seasons rather than just one in the last seven years, of course they'll have something to say about it because City have gained a competitive advantage by all these you know, payments that have been made which are not on the balance books and this kind of thing. I mean, when you look at Juventus, they've just had a 15-point deduction for using the Plus Valencia system, which basically allows you to take a transfer for a super high fee, return one for a super high fee, like the Arthur and the uh, Pjanic transfer, which was a big one, where they both signed one another for 75 million. On the balance books, it looks like they received 75 million, which then helps their balance books going forward. That has resulted in a 15-point deduction. Mm. And of course, it's going to taint everything that's happened. But I think the bottom line is, I think a lot of football th- fans probably think it is that when your club gets taken over by a state or one with unlimited money, nothing against like the states, for example, it's not like I've got some agenda here, but when you, you're getting this huge cash injection, which takes you from mid-table mediocrity to the top of the world, of course, you're going to have some kind of... Gr- when you when you compare it to Liverpool's situation where they've had to really grind out scouting systems and really develop themselves and, you know, slowly build up from the bottom, they're going to have grievances of it. I understand that completely. But, but it's not in the player's case, fault, is it? It's not, ah, it's the not pl- Kevin the players, De Bruyne's the, fault or they're Bernardo bi- Silva's they're responsibility. Yeah, they're byproducts of it. The, the, so they wouldn't, know, they wouldn't know any difference. They wouldn't take to the field thinking, I'm cheating today. I'm not going to lie, whenever I get a paycheck, I look at the money and I think, okay, great, this is what I've been paid. I don't think, oh, I wonder where that money came from. It's just not It's not on my radar. And why should it be? It's not my responsibility. Yeah, and it's not like the players are going to be banned for life for doing, for taking, it's not like the Juventus and AC Milan situation of, you know, match fixing where, and, they <laughs> and still, even they, they still, didn't have an issue. They, did, they were involved in they that They still as well. won those titles. They did, but it just depends what kind of perspective you want to take on it, which yeah. is that mm. if, had they not had that competitive advantage with the money, would that have allowed them to gain the players that they actually signed? Because let's not forget, when they first began their revolution under Sheikh Mansour, the reason why players were joining City was because they were able to flash the cash in front of the best players' eyes. That's the reason why they got David Silva, Yaya Toure, uh, Sergio Aguero when he was probably the most expensive Robinho player in Europe. back in the day when he said... Yeah, uh, yeah when he first going to United. This, these are all City. allegations, by the way. We need Brilliant. to make that clear. This is not cut and dried. It's not been resolved and it will take some time to resolve it we don't know that City are guilty we don't know that City are innocent because we're still trying to figure out what exactly the next steps and processes are you know I don't I don't see them as guilty because obviously it'll all come out in the next few years but you know for the sake of of arguing let's just say that you know all this comes down to are they guilty or not like I don't think they're, they're guilty because I think Man City have built have come up with a strategy to exploit a new rule that's been put in in the Premier League in terms of FFP. Yes. And it's like, you know, everyone talks about, oh, how can they get away with this with FFP? Because you're a fat bloke sat on a sofa and you've had an accountant who's on half a million a year have a look at these rules and say, okay, they're the rules, Mm. but it doesn't allow for this and it doesn't allow for that. It doesn't allow for us a a pillow sponsorship, which gets us five million a season. You don't have to... 
you know, there's creative ways of going about it to exploit loopholes. I think that's what Man City have done. Mm. It's the lack of cooperation with the Premier League, though, which is another element to these accusations and allegations is that City have withheld information deliberately or they've made it difficult for the Premier League to conduct their investigation, but which has taken four years. I don't, I don't believe the Premier League are militant enough to go and get something right the first time because if you send someone an email, you know they can interpret it. They can see what you've not written mm. as much as what you have written. So you can say, you know, oh, you show us this, this, this and mm. this. Because it all stems from the leaks and those leaked emails from a few years ago. I remember sitting in this studio talking about it on the radio, actually, when the studio next door mm. and thinking about what this might mean for the future of Manchester City. And that kind of got ironed out. And then there was the UEFA ban, went to cast, that got ironed out. So City have had these accusations and you know, stuff thrown their way for the last few years. So it's not anything that they probably wouldn't yeah. know how to deal with. But and City won won their case last time, didn't they? Which they did, just yeah. proved that not necessarily won. They well, just got the, so lawyered the, up the to prevent them from even looking. But listen, we get we get we get bogged down. The, the, the we? lawyers will find a way out if there if there's a way out. There still has to be a way out. If there's a hundred charges, surely there's some substance to it. There has to be. At this point, we don't know enough. And the question was about whether. If City are found guilty, which they haven't been, and they might well not be, we'll wait and see what happens at the outcome of these investigations. Would Pep Guardiola's success and that of the players he's coached be tainted? Who knows? I think that's one for personal opinion. Right, final question. I really like this question. This comes from Jane, and she says, which nationality apart from British or Irish would have the best team if you made an 11 of Premier League players from just that country, past and present? I think France. I don't know. If we're talking about past and present together, for instance, Omri would be up front, Giroud would be up front, Robert Pires would be in the midfield, Claude Makélélé would be in the midfield, Vieira, N'Golo Conte, you know, yeah, there's a present player, uh, Marcel Desailly at the back. I mean, Rafa even Varane, Varane Laurent Koscielny, Frank Leboeuf, Laurent Blanc. The only one is the goalkeeper, which might be a bit of a... Sanya. A, a like Bakary Sanya. So for me, France, straight away, I was like, it's got to be France. I was just mm. thinking of the best goal scorers in the history of the Premier League. You know, you're thinking Henri, because you can't choose English players for this question. Henri, Aguero, these sorts of players. So that would be my selection. So I'm just getting it out there. I mean, who would have the best team if you made an 11 of, of Premier League players from just that country, past or present? Jim's shout in the office before we came in here was Brazil. No. And you can no, have. there's not enough top attackers, I don't think. What, not even right now in the Premier League? Well, you compared, can have, well, it to that Fre- compared it to that French line, okay. no, no debate. Martinelli. Oh, come on. I know, I know, but Martinelli, hear me out here. Gabriel Jesus. Janino. Janino, <laughs> the Middlesbrough Janino. Bruno Gomarish. You've got two world class goalkeepers to choose from. Thiago nah, Silva. It, that France team would maul it for breakfast, yeah. lunch, and I dinner. I think you'd need the two goalies in goal at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could well, play, play Edison in midfield. <laughs> I was thinking yeah. a, a nationality that stood out to me straight away was Argentina. Okay. Just because you had Aguero and Tevez, which I argue two of the best Argentinian players ever. Uh, Mascarano, who's pretty much won everything. Di Maria. Di yeah. Maria, Martinez. Uh, Julian okay. Speroni in goal. Martinez, Emmy Martinez. <laughs> yeah, Emmy Martinez, Martinez, of course. Lissandro Martinez. There's got to be some more. It's midfielders, I think, where you fall uh, down. Yeah. Enzo Fernandez has just come in. He's, he's, he's so young, played prove. two games or something. I'm really top heavy. Argentina are always top heavy, aren't they? I'm really, I'm really playing a lot of stake on that, uh, that attack. Gabriel Heinze. 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 Heinze, Heinze, Heinze yeah, whatever yeah. you call him, yeah. He was probably the only fullback you've ever really The defence is lacking, isn't it? 
Zabaleta, yeah, City. Great probably, you, you probably can't name another right back that that's played in the Premier yeah, League from Argentina, and won, really. And really did well. Mm. So France and Argentina. I'll say that. Any other shouts? Two, really? Spain? I would say Spain, but it's very midfield centric again. Oh, really? You got David De Gea in goal. David Silva in the midfield. PK. Gerard Piquet at the back. I know he played a handful of games for Manchester yeah. United. Uh, Fernando Torres up front. In his, pink, in his prime. Diego Costa prime. up front. Xabi, Xabi Alonso. Xabi Alonso. Mm. David, uh, yeah, David Silva, Xabi Alonso, and then. I'm sure there's him. plenty. Cazola. Cazola. Oriol Romeo. <laughs> 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 Maybe Christ. we're scraping a bit there, aren't we, really? Yeah, you got like Pedro and all these other. Yeah, honestly, France are, France are very much far and wide, aren't they? The, mm. the, in terms of quality and in terms of what they won. Because it basically a lot of it comes from that invincible side, the Arsenal side, and mm. it's pretty hard. to Well, there's loads of players, and we not mention like Wiltor or yeah. Nicola Nelka or Paddy Evra at left back. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's France. I think it's France. I think mm. that's the answer to that question, Jane. I think it's France. I think that's the answer. What do yeah. you think? Let us know anyway at FSD Pod on Twitter. Get in touch with us. Um, maybe we should put that question out to the socials as well and see what people see what people think. Yep. Um, the answer would really be. So get in touch with us there. It's the best place to send us your questions for next week's AQA as well. But that is it from us. Don't forget to hit subscribe and that way you won't miss tomorrow's show where we do a quick fire look ahead to the weekend's Premier League action. Marley and Joel will be joining me for that. I was just thinking as a little hint of Portugal. Start thinking about it. They have got a very good Premier League side. Okay, maybe we'll get to that on social media. But that's it from us today. We'll catch you next time here on FSD. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.